enjoying celebrating the Lord. It's good to have the kids in here with us, waving some flags, enjoying God's presence. I know a lot of youth are off to camp. They're coming back, as we said, on Tuesday. So praying that they have an incredible time with the Lord and they come back refreshed and not just refreshed, that they're on fire. Um, it's so good to see some Niner stuff on the, in the, I like it. You're making me feel like I'm at home, like I belong here, like this is God's team or something. Um, no, good stuff. Uh, it's good to see different people. It's good to have John and Jess in the house. Woo-hoo! Missionaries, they're in the house. And Dave and Cheryl are back from their long vacation trips, journeys all around. Good stuff. Today is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Um, it is a good day for lots and lots of reasons. Um, but it is a good day because, like I said, 49ers are playing in the Super Bowl today. And if you don't have a place to go this afternoon, you are welcome to come root for the 49ers here in the, in the Fellowship Hall. If you're going for the Chiefs, that's okay. You can sit in the back. Um, <laughs> but you can come too. You're allowed to come. Um, and if you would like to come, there'll probably be plenty of snacks, but if you want to bring something, it's kind of like good policy. If you come to a party, bring, I don't know, two liter soda, bring a bag of chips, bring something with you. That'd be fun uh, just to share. Uh, but I'm looking forward to having fun. The idea is we're having fun, right? I know you already know who I'm rooting for, but the idea is we're just having fun. The idea is I love that the church can do things that are serious. We're worshiping God in spirit and truth. We're hearing his word this morning. Hopefully we'll get into that. Uh, but it's good also just to break bread with each other, just to fellowship, just to enjoy Enjoy being family and friends and laughing and making good memories. And so I encourage you, do that somewhere today. It's kind of like a national holiday almost, right? Super Bowl has been getting bigger and bigger over the years. Um, I think Taylor Swift is going to make this the most watched Super Bowl ever, I hear. Um, but uh, I, I don't care about that. I just care about my Niners winning again. Um, and so really, I have to, before I get into my sermon, can I, can I preach a little bit of 49ers? A little bit? Just a little bit? Okay. Just a little bit, just a little bit. So if you didn't know, the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl, and their, their quarterback is Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy. I might need help with this. Let's see if I can do it. And this jersey I'm putting up here, just incentive, you can win this jersey if you come to our Super Bowl party. We're not gambling. We're not gambling. But there's going to be a little game, and it's $5 a square. And if you want to buy a $5 square, you have a chance of winning this jersey right here. Just know I'm really, I'm going to be in, I really want this jersey, so I don't have a Purdy jersey, and I'd like to get this one, so, um, but I am willing to compete with you for it. Um, so if you don't know who Brock Purdy is, like I said, I'm just going to preach a little bit of 49ers to you. Um, there are other quarterbacks that might be playing today that claim they might be Christians, and they might say they give glory to God, but Brock Purdy is a legit, legit Christian. How do I know? Because I met him? No, I've not met him. I don't, I don't know. But, but I listen to, I, I judge the fruit of what people say, right? And here's just really quick, I have some things written down, I won't even bore you with all the things I wrote down. But here's what I know about Brock Purdy, because I am a 49ers fan and I am a Purdy fan. Um, he is someone who grew up in a Christian home and believes in Jesus, and he doesn't just say glory to God every once in a while. I love, there's interviews, you can go Google it if you want. There's interviews of Brock Purdy, and people are asking him different things, and he, this is what he says. He says, I don't just believe in God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus came from heaven and came and lived here for 33 years. This is what Brock Purdy says. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that I'm going to heaven because Jesus is my savior. I'm like, that is a Christian. 
that is defining what the good news of the gospel is. Not just saying there is a God in heaven, but that he actually sent his son and he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one gets the father except through him. So I'm preaching a little bit and Purdy promoting him, obviously. But the idea is I love, I'm gonna keep going a little bit further with Brock Purdy. I love that he is this young guy. If you don't know, I'm sure most of you know the history, right? He was Mr. Irrelevant. What does that mean? He was the last guy picked right? The last guy picked in the NFL draft two years ago, and he's made his way to the NFC Championship last year, and now he made it all the way to the Super Bowl this year. So he's kind of like this Cinderella Hollywood story. But I love that this guy is full of confidence. If you can't see, this is a little thing I have. It's a little, it's not, a, it's not an idol. It's not an idol, but it is on my desk in my office. And it is right in front where I get to look at it all the time. Because Brock Purdy, if you can't see what he's doing, but he's just, he's just flexing like, yes. And I love this. The reason why, I'm just being honest with you, the reason why I have it for me to look at is not just because I'm a 49ers fan. There's something that he represents that I realize I need to grow in. This is what his coach is. This is what everybody says about him when they're interviewing, like millions of people watch interviews. They say, Brock Purdy, there's this big debate whether you really are an elite quarterback or just a good quarterback. Which one are you? And they, they ask him, they compare him to other quarterbacks. He says, you know what? I'm not Lamar Jackson, who got the MVP. I'm not Patrick Mahomes, who's won Super Bowls already. I'm not all these guys. I'm Brock Purdy. I know who I am. I'm not trying to be anybody else. I'm just trying to be who God's called me to be. And he says, I have a great confidence in who I am. My identity is secure. I I am on the 49ers. I am a football player. But above and beyond all of that, I'm a child of God. And he says this in front of everybody. And I love that because what I'm saying is I'm not just promoting the 49ers. I, what I want to do is connect it a little bit, right? It's church. Is that how you live your life in the workplace, at school? That people know what you believe, that you profess it with your mouth and you're bold, you're unashamed to say, I'm a Christian. And I, I didn't actually say what he said. He says, some people have heard the story that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again. And he says this, but it's not a fairy tale. He said it these ways. It's not a fairy tale. It really happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus really was here on this planet, and Jesus really did die on the cross, and Jesus really is my Savior, and I really am going to heaven because of Jesus. And I love that. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. He's actually sharing his things. And I, really quick, I, this is all tangents. You're giving me all tangents because I could talk about Fort Anders for the next hour, right? But I love Tim Tebow. Anyone know who Tim Tebow is? He was a former NFL quarterback. If you Google him, There is not one thing that has come out of his mouth that I don't agree with. I love Tim Tebow. I'm not sure. Maybe he does say something I don't agree with, but everything I've ever heard that man say is I'm like, yes, I love Tim Tebow. Um, He was someone that, if you don't remember, he wrote John 3.16 on his, like, the the black eye under there, and people, that was the most Googled search that day was John 3.16, and people actually heard the gospel because of him. He was a very bold evangelist. He still is, and I love that about Tim Tebow. Brock Purdy isn't really this evangelist. He's just someone who knows who he is. He's not trying to preach Christ and everything he's doing. He's not, he's not a pastor. He's like, I'm not a pastor. I'm a quarterback. But I want to bring Jesus into everything I do. And, and so I love that idea. Is, is that what you're doing, right? I'm preaching this now. Is that what you're doing? I know all of us have different roles, right? I, I worked for AT&T for 10 years. You might be a teacher. You're a stay-at-home mom. Whatever it is that you do, are you somehow bringing glory to Christ in what you're doing? Not just with a good attitude, but you actually are mindful of it. You're thinking about it. In fact, there's someone, good, he's not in the room. Uh, I, won't, I'll, I would call him out. But there's someone I met with just a few weeks ago that I went to their business I, I, during lunch. And, and he was telling me that in his secular business that he runs and he's in charge of, he's like, Pastor, 
I'm trying to find a way to, be a, to use this as like a missionary field. How can I bring the gospel? How can I bring up the story of Jesus into my conversations with other businessmen? I, I know I have I, you know, lots of employees and people are getting their paycheck from me and I want to be a good businessman, but I want to go above and beyond just making money. I, I have a platform, an opportunity to share Jesus. And I'm using this as an example is where are you at in your life? Do you know who you are, your identity? This is why I have this on my desk and I look at it often because he's so confident in himself, not because he's all that, but because he knows who he is. And really quick, more 49er stuff. Does anyone know who the coach of the 49ers is? Kyle Shanahan. All right, good. Some family member had to tell me. All right, Kyle Shanahan. He's the coach, and he's been interviewed about Brock Purdy. And he says this, this young guy, this 23-year-old guy, he's like, you know what? I've never met another human in my life who's so confident in who they are. He's not arrogant or prideful, but he's just confident. He doesn't let a bad play, someone talking negative about him, it doesn't phase him. He just knows who he is. And he's like, that's rare in this world to find a young man who just knows who he is and is confident in his own skin. And so I have this in me because I've told you several times that even when I come up here, someone asks me, do you still get nervous when you go up in front of people? And I'm like, yes. I told you I was born an introvert. I, I, I never had a desire to be in front of people. I never had a desire to be a leader. Like I'm telling you honestly, like when I went in college, they were trying to figure out what you want to do as a career path. And I'm like, I want to go work in a company where someone else makes all the decisions and I just bring home the paycheck. Like that is, that is what I wanted to do in life. I didn't, I didn't want to be responsible for things. And God's just laughing. And the second thing I said is, I hate the phone. I never want to be on the phone. And I worked for a phone company for how many years? And now I'm the leader of a church. I'm like, God, you have a very warped sense of humor. Um, but I love this because it's reminding me that I need to be confident in who I am and who God's calling me to be. Not arrogant, not prideful that Ryan is better than anyone else in this room. no. I'm called to serve as the pastor. It's my job to serve you. It's my job to minister to you, to treat you better than myself. I don't come here on Sunday to toot my own horn and make myself better than you. My goal all week long is what can I do to bless the people that I'm gonna go talk to? How can they benefit from coming to church? What do they get out of me? How can I serve them? And so I love that he does it with great confidence and joy. And that's how I wanna be because too often I allow the enemy to speak and I allow my emotions to tell me who I am. And I don't want to listen to my emotions. And I don't want to listen to the enemy. I want to say like this, I know who I am. Like, I'm Ryan. I'm the pastor. God's going to use me to bless other people, right? And I'm saying that because that's how you should view yourself. You should be confident when you go to work. I know who I am. I'm going to work, right? I'm just thinking right now, uh, we had Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I know, a while ago. But I love, he gave so many sermons. He said, man, if you're a street sweeper, street sweeper, be the best street sweeper this world has ever seen. It doesn't matter what position you hold. It doesn't matter what you do. When you go to work, when you wake up in the morning, are you thinking, oh, I have to go do this. I have to do this. And I'm just poor me and poor victim. Or are you learning to have this confidence in Christ, right? I can do this today because of Christ who strengthens me. And so I just, I know I'm preaching Brock Purdy, um, but I love this. And so can I switch gears? You're probably like, yes, get off of Brock Purdy. All right, I'll get off Brock Purdy. But can I stay on football for a second? <laughs> so I will open up so I'm not just shooting from the hip. There's some things that I've been listening to. Hopefully, I'm just saying this honestly. Hopefully you listen to other sermons other than just Pastor Ryan. I love listening to sermons. I love that we live in an era and a season where podcasts and YouTube and I can get fed with 
messages all the time. And, and I love listening to other sermons. And I love listening to other pastors. And um, there's a pastor that I love listening to, Chris Valaton. And he's, he's got a prophetic voice. And he um, was challenged by people every year. Hey, can you like, give us a word for the year? Like this pastor does. This is our year of divine design, right? That's the word I had for our church this year. And in 2023, people were saying, can you give us a word for this new year? And so he was praying and he felt like God said, you know what? I'm not going to give you a word for 2024. I'm going to give you a word for a new era. And he's like, okay, what does that mean, God? Like an era. And like, if you Google era, era can be anything from like a few years to decades. Like era is defined by what happens in that era. And so he feels like God was telling him, I'm going to give you a word for an era. And before I even, I'm not even going to talk about what that word is for the era today. Man, I'm setting myself up and now you have to go Google it. Um, but the idea is he said that before we step into that new era, we need to step into a halftime. And if you were here on Wednesday night, we talked a little bit about this. But the idea is, as a pastor, he's saying, we need to step into a halftime. What does that mean, halftime? The idea is in football, right, there is a halftime. And he used this analogy. He said when he was sharing this with his church back in the beginning of January, he said that last year, the Minnesota Vikings, I could care less about them, but last year, they had the biggest comeback in NFL history. They were down, I forget, someone can probably tell me. They were down, I forget how many touchdowns at halftime, probably four touchdowns, I think. And they completely turned it around and they won the game. The biggest comeback ever. And so he says, I feel like God is saying, this is a season for the church to take a halftime. Where the church has been losing, do you realize, really quick, man, I don't want to get on a tangent. But do you realize just a few hundred years ago, the church is the one that invented hospitals. There didn't, for thousands of years, there wasn't such a thing as a hospital. And the church said, we should have a place where we train people to know medicine and pe- the sick people can come there and we can make them feel better. So the church invented and created hospitals. The church invented Yale and Harvard and universities. They said, we should train people how to become experts in fields of study. We should have a place where we can have people that are really educated tell other people how to become educated. Like the church was running society. The church was on the, on the pillars, you got mountains or pillars. They were very involved in creating the culture of the world. And I'm just being honest with you, the church has been kind of in a decline. We've been losing. And I praise God, this word is like a halftime. It's time for the church to sit at halftime. What happens at a halftime? You get off the field, you get some rest, but what you do really is you look at the first half and you evaluate and say, what were we doing wrong? What, were, what, was, the, what was the opposing enemy doing that was causing problems. Where is the vulnerability in the enemy? Where can we attack the enemy? What can we do? What needs to change in our strategy? What needs to change in the way we're living our, what we're doing, you know, right? We've been doing this and it's not working. So let's change what we're doing. Let's change things up. So the idea is this halftime, this word for the halftime is for us as a church to look back and say, okay, what are we doing? This is kind of like the church globally, but I believe it's, it's a personal word too. What are you doing in your life right now? We're in a season where you should reflect and take a pause and say, okay, what am I doing? What is working well in my life? And what's not actually working so well? What do I need to change? What needs to be pruned? Really quick, because I use that word prune. Jesus gave a lot of parables, metaphors, analogies. In the Bible, you'll hear this. He says that we, he's the vine, right? His father is the vine dresser. We're the branches, and any branch that doesn't bear good fruit, he prunes, right? He's pruning. The idea is not to be mean. He prunes because he wants to produce more fruit. This is something I don't fully understand because I didn't grow up in an agricultural society or on a farm. But I've been told that grapevines, 
that they extend themselves as far as they can go. That's their like goal. All on their own without a human coming to prune them, they will just keep getting and growing as far and far outreached as they can in every direction. And they'll spend so much of their energy trying to overextend themselves that they won't produce a lot of fruit. So what happens is the farmer or the pruner comes and says, let's prune back to the last place you were producing fruit. Let's prune to there where the last place you had fruit. And now when you grow, you're going to produce more fruit. Instead of extending, overextending yourself and being exhausted, let's come back to where you're fruitful and let's get back to that. And now you're going to produce more fruit. So he's using this example, Jesus in his day, in his day society 2,000 years ago, everyone, I'll just say it this way. When Jesus was alive and the people he was talking to, every single human being had seen a grapevine. It was all over the countryside. They probably owned one or their neighbors did, right? They knew what it was to prune. It was just in their daily life. You and I, not in my daily life. I love that Pastor Chris was getting an analogy that's something in his daily life, football. Maybe not your daily life. It's something I enjoy. So I enjoy this metaphor of a halftime because it speaks to me in my language. Can I tell you the Lord just, this is like a freebie. The Lord wants to speak to you in your language. How many times does this pastor show you Princess Bride or quote from it, right? That's the language I speak. He knows my language. He knows your language. He knows your interests. He knows what you enjoy spending time doing, what you don't spend time. He wants to speak to you in your language. Can I really quickly say this? I, I, I went to a Christian concert last night. It was all this worship music, four hours of all this Christian music. And I love that towards the end, one of the singers said they played a secular song and everyone started singing it. And he says, now don't be fooling yourself. Everyone in here listens to Christian music, but it sounds like not everyone listens to just only Christian music because everyone was singing the secular song. And he says, you know what? Don't always say that God can't speak through anything, right? God spoke through a donkey. Maybe that's not the best way to speak. But God will speak to you in so many different ways if you're actually hungry and looking and seeking for him. I love the scripture where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Oh man, can this morning be a little bit tangenty, a little bit random, but maybe it's like dropping little things for different people. Is this making sense? So I think for me, maybe I like to stay on like a course, like a three-point sermon. That's always my goal and I never get it. So this morning, I'm not even gonna try. Um, See, now I got lost what I was about to say. <laughs> Here it is. I remember now. Thank you, God. Seek first the kingdom of God. A quote I read just recently from C.S. Lewis. I love him. Theologian C.S. Lewis. I'm probably not saying it word for word, but you'll understand. He said, if you put second things first, you get nothing at all. If you put first things first, you get first and second and a lot more to go with it. The reality is, if Brock Purdy puts winning a Super Bowl as his number one, he's seeking just a Super Bowl above everything else, then everything else in his life falls apart. But if he says, I'm going to praise God whether I win or lose, and he's going to put first things first, I'm not saying he's going to win the Super Bowl today. I don't know if he's going to win it today. But it puts everything else in perspective. When we put the right things first, God says, it's my desire to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you his kingdom. God wants to give you peace. He wants to give you joy. He wants to make laughter a real part of your life. He wants to make this life enjoyable. That is his goal, his desire. But in that, are you willing to praise him when there is pain, when there is difficulty? Jesus also said, in this life, you'll experience difficulties. You'll be persecuted. 
but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. The reality is you can have joy, we sing it, in chaos. You can have everything that's in your control flip up and not be in your control. Say, what the heck is going on in my life? And you can still have joy in that chaos. It's possible. It's not practical. It's not reasonable. But according to God's kingdom, it's possible. If you put first things first, seek first his kingdom. Where was that? It's like I said, these are random tangents. Okay, halftime. Let me get back to that. I think the Lord wants to prune some of us. Can I just say kind of modern vernacular, at least is how I think. Do you have an honest evaluation of yourself? Do you take self-inventory? Can I just say it this way? Are you healthy physically? Are you addressing your physical body? Are you healthy emotionally? Are, you, are your emotions ruin, ruining, or I'll just say it this way, if they're ruling your life, it's ruining your life. That's a good word. Never said that way, but I like it. If emotions are ruling your life, it's ruining your life. How's your mental health? Probably most importantly, how's your spiritual health? Are you taking a self-evaluation and saying, yeah, I've just kind of been the same for a while. And I'm just going to can I just be like completely honest with you, right? I don't feel like I'm backsliding. I don't feel like I'm going anywhere backwards in my relationship with God. But as I hear this word about a halftime, I'm taking some self-evaluation and I'm just being honest with you, Ryan looking at Ryan, I realize I'm not running as fast as I used to run. Just being honest with you. I'm still walking the good walk. I'm still, I'm still pressing forward. But I realize there was an extra skip in my step in certain areas of my life where it's, I don't have that skip. I'm just kind of, all right, I'm doing the right thing. But it's not with that extra oomph in it. And I'm saying, okay, God, maybe I need a halftime. Maybe I need to take a step back and just say, okay, what caused that? How did I lose my passion? How did I lose my joy? Where did the enemy come in? What do I need to do to address? Do I have some bitterness? Do I have some unforgiveness? What's, what do I need to own so that I can change and reevaluate? So I know I'm kind of all over the place this morning, but I'm hoping it's hitting some people in different places. The Lord prunes you because he loves you. He disciplines those whom he loves. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. Can I say it this way? The Lord is not disappointed with you. That needs to be like pressed down, shaken together, running together, all together, like running over in your mind, in your spirit. I know the Lord does lots of things. Can the Lord ever be disappointed? Sure, I'm not gonna debate that theologically with you. But all I know is I can point to way more scriptures that the Lord delights in you. He rejoices over you. You are his joy. And so even in your failure, he's not the number one thought. Can I say it this way? He puts first things first. His first thing, his first thought is not disappointment with you. Even in the midst of your failure, his first thought is not disappointment. He says it, right? A kind of famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. God says about himself, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. I know my thoughts. You don't know my thoughts, but I know my thoughts. So let me tell you what they are. They're plans not to harm you, but to actually prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. This is what he's constantly thinking about you. He's not thinking about, man, that dumb, whatever word you want to say, messed up again. They can't get anything right. 
That is not the thoughts he thinks. He is proud of you, right? Kind of going back to last Sunday. He rejoices over you. Do you, I'll say it this way. You and I, we can't afford to think a thought about ourselves that he doesn't think about us. Am I the only one in the room guilty? I've thought thoughts about myself that are not God's thoughts. That's why I put this in front of me. I'm just being honest with you. Because when I see this, I'm like, oh, when I start getting discouraged, when I start thinking negative thoughts and thinking, oh, I can't, I'm not good enough. Man, I just failed at that. And I just start going down that path. I see this thing, I'm like, no, I'm meant to rule and reign in life. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. He's for me, he's not against me, right? I have to remind myself of these things. It just doesn't come natural. It comes natural to think negative thoughts about myself. So I have to put things in my life to say, I'm gonna do this again and again. No, this is the thoughts he thinks towards me. So this halftime, there's some pruning that I think needs to take, take place. You know, there's a whole lot more with that, but I think I'm gonna leave it. I think I'm going to go on to the next thing. Maybe we should read a Bible verse. Instead of talking about Brock Purdy, 49ers, it's come to this. Maybe we should actually read our Bibles. Whew. All right, let's do that. If you didn't catch it, there was Bible verses all throughout what I just said. So don't worry. All right, here we go. What I want to talk, hopefully this like dovetails somehow, because it feels like me, I'm doing this this morning. But I want to talk to you a little bit this morning too about the difference between transformation and building foundations. When I read scripture, I read about the heroes of the faith. I read about different things that took place. And I see that sometimes it took a powerful encounter for transformation to take place. Let me give you an example. Saul on the road to Damascus, right? A powerful encounter with Jesus and it transformed his life, right? Uh, Jacob, uh, going through, stopping at Bethel, having a dream, uh, Jacob's ladder, right? And then he leaves and he comes back to that same place. The next time he wrestles with God and his name is changed from Jacob to Israel, right? It was a powerful encounter with Jesus and it transformed his identity. It transformed the future of his life, right? I, I keep going through, there's tons of things like that where there was a powerful encounter and it brought transformation. But can I be really real with you? I am not saying any names, but I've been, I grew up in this church I just want to be real with you. I've seen people come and go in this church, and I say lots of good things where people have come and they left because God called them, but I've seen people come to this church where they had a powerful encounter with God's presence. Things were transformed in their life, and they left this church falling back into the old lifestyle. So I'm all about having an encounter, and I want transformation. I pray that every Sunday something transforms us, but I don't want it just to be encounters and transformation. I want to build something that lasts. I want foundations that are solid. I want wisdom that is applied that actually you can build upon. And I believe that comes through discipleship. When you come to church, I hope you encounter the presence of God. I hope you feel his presence. I hope you feel the love of God when you come here. I hope you feel like, man, this is where I belong. That's great. But the reality is, the verse for this year, Ephesians 4, 16, we are supposed to be joined together. Not just have a connection. Like, yeah, that's a church I go to and I know some people there. The reality is discipleship is supposed to happen. I'm just being honest with you. I've not been the best leader 
of this church making that happen. But I thank God there's people like Jeff Fowler who's gonna start doing a men's Bible study. The ladies are gonna do something. There sounds like there's gonna be a ladies Bible study again coming up again. There's things where we need to connect, not just to have social gatherings, but actually begin to disciple. I have Bible verses. Let me say this and we'll get to the Bible verses. All right. I, maybe I've heard other pastors say you should be careful about what you're sharing in your own personal life as a pastor. I'm not so careful. I, I just tell you guys all the time. But I, I've come to a season in my life where, like I said, this halftime, I'm looking at my life and I realize I grew up in this church and there's people I could look at, look like the Hunts, my dad, even Carrie Rolls. There's, I don't feel like you're way older than me, but just I, I, I observed you. Like there's the Rotners. There's people, I could just start pointing out different people that I grew up in this church, obviously, Pastor Greg. There's people that I looked up to, that I gleaned from. They were mentors in my life. Whether I met with them regularly or not, I observed their life. I saw how they did things. I kind of took some things and I applied it to my own life and they helped shape who I am today. There was discipling going on as I grew up in this church. But as I'd taken this halftime, I'm realizing all those people I just named, they're still good friends. They're people I still could go to and ask advice for. But my, my role has changed. I'm no longer a teenager at Osborne. I'm now the lead pastor. And I realize I can't just absorb things from people and just take a passive role. I'm just being honest with you. In my halftime, in my assessing my life, I'm realizing I need some mentors. I need some discipleship in my life. And that might not come from just people that I'm the lead pastor over them. I need to go somewhere else. I'm not saying I'm leaving Osborne. I'm saying I need to find some mentors that can speak into my life that aren't involved in the day-to-day Osborne stuff. And I can say this. I'm guessing I'm not the only one in the room that you've had this thought at least, I wish someone would adopt me and mentor me and disciple me. I just wish someone else would see the need I have and they would just take me under their wing and they just would speak to me. Well, it's great to have those thoughts, but let me just tell you the real life. You have to seek it out. You wanna be discipled? It's on you. And I'm pointing my finger like this like I've never had before. If I want to be discipled, I get it. I'm a lead pastor. I can still have friendships and, and meaningful relationships here. But if I want to go on, that's what I'm realizing. Why I don't have, I've lost my, my sprint. I'm like, because I need to just go Bleh, to somebody who isn't involved in all of this. I've been caring too much. I know his yoke is easy. His burden is light. But the reality is being a lead pastor, I'm like, I just need someone else. I can just go Bleh. And they can say, all right, and they love me through it. And they say, all right, now stop puking, Ryan. Pick yourself up. Let's go. The reality is all of us need someone in our life that sees something from a higher perspective than us. And we need to call ourselves, I need you in my life. I need to be connected to someone. And I think we all know that, but what are we doing? It's halftime. It's time to reassess and say, all right, I need some coaching. I need someone to look at my, the game, the video footage of what I've been doing and say, all right, the way you did that, that's not working. We've got to change that up, right? We've got to change this up. Your five-step drop, well, too much football, right? Whatever you're doing, it's not working. So let's change the way you do it. Just being honest, are you accountable to someone in your life that they have the freedom and authority to call you out? Because really quick, man, I said we're getting to Bible verse. I promise we will before I'm done. When I look at those powerful encounters 
that Paul had, Saul to Paul on the road to Damascus, I started thinking about that. Was that just like Jesus stepping in out of, out of heaven and just like stepping into the situation and it was just this divine interaction? And I started thinking about all the different ones. I realized, you know what? I think there was a human involvement in all of this. What happened right before Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus? He watched Stephen be martyred. He watched Stephen pray for those who are actually throwing stones to kill him and praise God in the midst of being killed. And Saul is watching this and something inside of him says, what the heck is going on here? This isn't computing in my brain. Something with a human element said, I don't understand. And something began this journey. In fact, when Jesus shows up, the very first thing that Jesus says to Saul on the road to Damascus is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Stop kicking against the goads. What does that mean? Saul had been thinking about it. There's something about this Jesus thing that I hate. I've been trying to squash, but there's something that resonates. There's something that makes me curious. There's something that I can't fully grasp. And he's kicking against what the Holy Spirit was doing inside of him. Where did that come from? I believe it was a human interaction. Stephen caused something to happen. I think there's something in you and I that we need human interaction that causes us to start wrestling with things. My devotional life, can I just say this? My devotional life has not changed over the last year. It's It's good. I love my devotional life. But I realize I need something beyond just my own personal relationship with God. I need discipleship. I need the family of God. I need to be connected. I don't have all the answers. I just know this is what God's saying. So, man, just really quick. 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is just as a verse talking about how when we encounter God's presence, it brings transformation. It says this, but we all, all, every single one of us, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's a whole lot in there, and I don't have time to preach all of that. But one of the things I want to hit is that word transformed, like that word metamorphosis, right? There's something that happens when the veil is lifted. The Holy Spirit reveals who Jesus really is. That's how you become born again. That's how you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, is you had an encounter with the love of God, with the truth of God, with something that somehow you is revealed to you who Jesus really is, and you had an encounter with it, and you were transformed. You became a new creation. I want as much encounters with God as I can get. But I love that it says, from glory to glory. Saul on the road to Damascus didn't automatically become one of the apostles. Sure, he had Stephen that helped initiate that encounter. But after that, he linked up with Barnabas. And Barnabas became this encourager, this mentor, and saying, Paul, this is, how, this is how you do this. This is what scripture really means. Like Saul had memorized the Old Testament, but Barnabas is like, no, this is how it points to Christ. This is how you live this out differently than the way you were previously living it. These are things that need to change inside of you. And so there was this accountability, right? There was this daily living with someone, figuring it out. So that's kind of the next, actually, I'm gonna tie it in, I have to. If you tie in, if you read, if you go Google some of the interviews with Brock Purdy, He'll tell you that this last season, I know, bringing it backward, I saw some people laugh at me. Just in regular interviews, he says, you know what? I'm a man of faith. 
And there's a Bible verse I've been chewing on this whole season. And he says, it's something Jesus said. Jesus said this in, in Luke, where'd it go? Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, right? I did translations. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. You want to build something that lasts. You want to have something that's a strong foundation. It takes daily repetition. I'm daily going to be Jesus' disciple, which means daily I'm going to say no to my flesh. There's things I want to do that I choose to say, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Ryan. I'm going to pick up a cross. I'm going to find a way to make myself conform into the image of Christ. And I can't do it on my own, so I'm going to pray, Holy Spirit, would you empower me and would you help me do what I cannot do on my own? Daily, 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 daily. I'm having a conversation with God. Daily, daily, daily. I want to create in here people that have strong foundations. It is a goal of mine that when you come to church, you have an encounter with God. But it's also a goal of mine that you daily hear the word of God. I didn't say it earlier. I know I said that God can speak through secular things, through Brock Purdy. I hope the number one thing that you're hearing God's voice through is his scripture, through the word of God. This is the number one way he speaks to you daily. You want to have a firm foundation? Daily spend time in this. It's the number one way God speaks to you through his written word, right? We speak to God through prayer. He speaks to us through prayer, but also through his written word. I just want to encourage you. This is something that we need to grow in, right? Hmm. So that, I had that verse. Oh, man. Taking a half time. I know I got like five minutes left. But I'm taking a half time right now. Evaluating where I want to go and how we want to finish this. That's just good practice. I think we all need to practice half times more often. Okay. To continue the theme that I feel like I'm doing this this morning, the idea of kind of marrying the idea of an encounter and discipleship. I'll just say it this way a testimony. I know of a testimony where there was a, a young female who came to church and was seriously contemplating ending her life. Hadn't been to church in years and said, I'm going to go do it one more time before I end my life, just to, just to make sure there's nothing there. Came to church, not the pastor, not some leader, not some elder, not the greeter, but as this young woman was at church, at the end of the service, nothing resonated. She was ready to leave, go end her life. But before she left, a congregant went over and greeted her and grabbed her by the hand and looked into her eyes and said, I don't know if this makes sense. I feel really scared doing this, but I just felt like God was telling me to come over and tell you that he sees you. And just looked in this young girl's eyes. God sees you, and I just feel like he's saying something simple. He loves you, and he wants to be with you. Super simple, but it was an encounter with the love of God. This woman fell to her knees just weeping. It was an encounter with the love of God through someone that wasn't discipling at that moment, didn't think they had anything to give, but just said, you know what? I'm going to take a risk. 
I'm going to try something. I'm just going to go reach out to this stranger and say something. And it transformed that woman's life. And that woman wasn't just transformed from that one time. Now that woman came back to the church and got discipled, got plugged in, and got connected. And people put arms around her, and she's still following Christ with a firm foundation. We sang that song this morning, Christ is my firm foundation. Some people, if you just tell them a one-time thing, it doesn't become their firm foundation. They need to have someone come alongside them. Can I say it this way? I said earlier that we all need to be discipled. I've heard it said, it doesn't matter where you're at in your Christian walk, if you're one day old in Christ, you need someone discipling you and you need to go find someone that you can disciple. Who are you reaching out to? Who are you looking to in this own body saying, you know what? I wonder if I could just go do something to bless them, something to encourage them, let them know that I love them, let them know that I'm thinking about them, to go above and beyond just attending service. And so I do, I want to end the service as the worship team comes on up. I say this often, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Because I could try to end on one point and I feel like the Holy Spirit might be doing this to different people. What I'd love to do is, I know we kind of did it different this morning where during the last worship song, we just kind of kept worshiping and then we were greeting each other and I was actually kind of confused. Am I, am I supposed to be worshiping? Am I supposed to be greeting? And it's like, yes. Can I do the same thing with our last worship song? Can I make it where you can just enjoy the presence of God and just worship? That's, you're doing the right thing. But there's also an invitation to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Is there an opportunity for me to get out of my own skin and to be a blessing to someone else? Do I need to go make something right? Do I need to spend a half time with you, God, during this worship song and, and just get on my knees and say, God, prune me. Whatever you want to take off of my life, God, I yield to you, I submit to you, and I'm not going to walk in it anymore. I'm going to remove that from my life. I'm going to repent. Maybe it's, like I said, for me in my season, it's like Brock Purdy. Like, I need to start realizing who I am. I think it was Mark Twain. He said the two most important days of your life, the day you were born and the day you found out why. I can do it. One last sports analogy. If you follow sports, you know that games are won in the fourth quarter. Every good coach says that to their team. I don't follow track and field so much, but I've heard that, was it the, the relay race where you have the batons and you, have, you pass, I don't know what it's called because I, I'm not a track and field guy. But I've heard that you have your strong, your anchor that's last. The consistent and probably fastest one on the team goes last because he can make up all the ground. I know basketball a little bit. In basketball, your star players, if they're starting to get tired, you sit them, you give them a break so that they are on the court for the last couple minutes of the game because that's when the game is won. You want the ball in your star's hand at the very end of the game. If he's in foul trouble, you sit him to make sure he doesn't get fouled out, right? You make sure the fourth quarter, you have your best player on the court, on the field, whatever it is, your best player is on the field because that's where the game is won. This thought came to my mind. Do you realize humans have been on this planet for 6,000 years? The way I read human history, we're in the fourth quarter. 
you could have been born at any time in human history. No matter how you feel or think about yourself, God chose you to be born in the fourth quarter because he sees you as his most valuable player. I want the ball in his hands. I want the ball in her hands. Again, I don't care what you feel or think about yourself. I know the thoughts that God thinks towards you. He didn't make a mistake that you're born in the fourth quarter. He's getting ready to return for a great and triumphal victory. And the church is to be a beautiful, radiant bride. You're in the fourth quarter. The ball is in our hands. Are you ready to step into that identity? To prune what needs to be pruned, to step in to say, yes, like Brock Purdy, I know who I am. So I'm gonna say a quick prayer. Actually, would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray a blessing over all of us and then we're gonna sing this last worship song and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that you are so good. I thank you that you are for us, that you, you live to make intercession for us. You enjoy praying for us. It's not because you're frustrated and you just want us to get our act together. God, it's your joy to intercede for us, to pull down all the blessings of your Father and lavish them upon us. So can I ask you just as a posture of receiving, can you put your hands in front of you like you're receiving a gift? Grace and mercy are not things you earn or deserve. They're just free gifts. So God, I pray a blessing over everyone here today that they would receive a blessing, a grace that we do not earn or deserve, but that you just freely give. God, may we receive the gifts, not just of the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that we would be loving and kind and patient and gentle and have self-control, God, that we would grow in these things and that it would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, I pray that we would benefit those around us. God, it wouldn't just be about us receiving this right in this moment. God, that you would, we would bear much fruit so that those around us would get the benefit. So Holy Spirit, help. Holy Spirit, use us may not just be in this service, may we not just have an encounter right now in this prayer, but may there be discipleship where we work this out and there's a solid foundation being built and we go from glory to glory. So would you speak to us in language we understand? Would we hear your still small voice through people around us, through our day-to-day -day interactions? And may there be joy in just serving and following you, God. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Would you stay and sing this one last worship song for us? And then during the worship song, feel free to speak out, love on each other. Say that again. Christ is my friend. Christ is my